Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Wisest STEM podcast. My name is Helen, and I'm the Outreach Coordinator at Wisest, and I use she, her pronouns. Before we jump in, in a small but intentional way, I want to acknowledge the land that we are recording from. I am privileged and honored to be recording from Treaty 6 territory right in my home, which is specifically located on Cree land in Amitskwitski, Wisconsin, which is the Cree name for the land that Edmonton is located on. It means Beaver Hills House. I am grateful for the opportunity to learn about the truth of this land, the Indigenous people who took care of it and continue to take care of it, but I am also grateful for the opportunity to be a part of making right where wrong was done. I encourage everyone to get familiar with the 94 calls to action laid out in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We all have a role to play in ensuring these calls to action come to fruition, and we'll link a website right in our podcast description that shows what those 94 calls to action are and the progress we as a country have made to fulfill them. So to the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, Anishinaabe, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant communities, we give thanks for this opportunity to do better. So today we're wrapping up our mini-series titled Navigating the Pandemic, where we asked students to share some of the concerns they had around the COVID-19 pandemic. In our first episode, we dealt with digital literacy and the spread of misinformation. In our second episode, we talked about student wellness and how to take care of our mental health during times of uncertainty. In this episode, we'll dive into how we can have hard conversations. During the pandemic, we've all had hard conversations one way or another. Conversations with your parents about how life was going to drastically change with all the lockdowns. Conversations with your friends and family about how gatherings couldn't take place anymore. Conversations with people who were suffering through COVID. And inevitably, we've all witnessed uncivil dialogue around those who choose to vaccinate and those who choose not to vaccinate. The pandemic ushered in a time and space where we were constantly having to navigate, you know, difficult conversations. And one particular conversation we might have had was around vaccine hesitancy. I'm excited to share that we have two incredible experts joining us today on the show to talk a little bit about strategies we can use to move forward with having these difficult conversations. First up, we have Dr. Krishana Sankar. Dr. Sankar completed her PhD at the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Medicine. She is currently the Science Advisor and Community Partnerships Lead at Science Up First, a national initiative that works with a collective of independent scientists, researchers, healthcare experts, and science communicators to debunk misinformation online. Over the last two years, she has worked with several initiatives, including COVID-19 Resources Canada, where she has participated in vaccine conversation and Q&A sessions, where she has been debunking misinformation and sharing accurate information with different audiences and communities, particularly equity-seeking groups. Not only has she worked with groups in Canada, but also in the United States, Australia, and Guyana, her home country. Dr. Sankar is also a science communicator who has done over 70 events nationally and internationally and has spent the last 10 years doing science outreach and communication, both offline in the community and online using social media. Next, we have Timothy Caulfield. Timothy is the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy, a professor in the Faculty of Law and the School of Public Health, and Research Director of the Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. He is also an author, 
and has written several best-selling books, including The Cure for Everything, The Vaccination Picture, The Science of Celebrity, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? And most recently, Relax, A Guide to Everyday Health Decisions with More Facts and Less Worry. He's also the host and co-producer of the award-winning documentary TV show, A User's Guide to Cheating Death, which aired in over 60 countries and is available for streaming on Netflix in North America. Timothy currently sits as a member on the Executive Advisory Committee for Science Up First. These last few years, Timothy has been heavily involved in breaking down myths, misconceptions, and misinformation surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome, Dr. Sankar and Timothy. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much for having us, Ellen. So let's dive into some questions. I'm curious for both of you during this pandemic, because I know I've had to deal with some really hard conversations. I've had to learn some things about people that I thought I knew who they were, and they're saying some things that I didn't quite agree with. I'm curious, what kinds of difficult conversations have the two of you had over the last few years relating to the pandemic? Every day, it's nonstop. You know, to be honest with you, last, I'll say, I wonder if Krishana agrees with this, last, I'll say two, three, four months, it has slowed, you know, the anger, the tension, has dissipated a bit. And it's the, I, I think the tone has changed, which I'll come back to that, because I think that's really, you know, an important element of the story. But um, it's been harsh. Um, and we we have had numerous studies on this. And so I've looked at this, you know, both with an academic eye, but also from the perspective of, of a science communicator, At the beginning of the pandemic. So we're talking, you know, February, March, April 2020, you know, there was this, we're all in it together, kind of spirit that we had. And there were studies right out of the gate that showed that Canada very much, there was a sort, sort of a unified approach to it. Yes, there were already outliers, but very, very quickly, I think by that summer, um, you started to feel the polarization, the anger, and the tough conversations increased, uh, which was really disappointing, you know, how, how quickly that happened. And even someone who studied misinformation for decades, I was surprised how quickly that happened and, and how quickly it became really about polarization. So on a personal level, um, you know, you get hate mail, you get death threats, I'm being sued. Um, the harassment is, you know, was non-stop. Now, the nice thing is that there has been wonderful support from the University of Alberta. And I think that that's one of the, I hope one of the legacies from the pandemic is a greater appreciation of how important it is to have support from your institutions, from your community. And Krishan has talked about the wonderful science communication community we have in Canada. That I think is really supportive. But despite all of that, Helen, I think you always have to remember when you're having these conversations, you know, even though you're really angry and frustrated <laughs> and sometimes hurt, to try to be empathetic and to try to listen and try to get a sense of where the other person's anger is coming from. Now, look, when it's hardcore hate mail that you're getting from a denier, I just ignore it. But I, I, I do, I still try to remind myself, listen, 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 try to get a sense of where this person is coming from. What can we learn from their perspective um, and how can we move forward? But where we are today, Helen, um, I, I think what is really disappointing, why, you know, I'm a, a very optimistic individual, but why I'm, you know, I, I get these moments of pessimism is because it's become so much about ideology and so much about these ingrained views of the world. And when you marry misinformation and when you marry fake news with the ideology, it does become, I think, more difficult to change people's minds. 
uh, because the polarization is kind of ossified, right? And um, look, there's interesting research that tells us how we can break those echo chambers and, and move forward. And I always remain optimistic because I think the research in general tells us that we can fight misinformation in a constructive way. And we can come back to that. But uh, yeah, those are the things I've heard. And I could go on and on and on over the past couple of years. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Wow. So I think Tim covered a lot, but I did want to just, um, I guess, re-emphasize two things that he mentioned. So the listening part. Um, that has become, you know, so, I mean, not that it was never crucial before, but even more so crucial now. Um, I, I'm often finding myself saying this recently, but a huge part of communication is listening. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And that has played such a huge role in the work that I have done on a community level, um, but not just on a community level, but also with family and friends. Um, you know, uh, it, I think even communicating with family and friends during the pandemic has probably been even more challenging than communicating with strangers, right? Because we tend to have a bit more patience sometimes with people who we don't know, you know, we won't be interacting with them after the fact. But family and friends, these are people who are around all the time. And so if, you know, ideologies are somehow now being mismatched and they're no longer aligned, you start to find yourself in this situation where things become very awkward and uncomfortable. So realizing you have to communicate with compassion is also extremely important. There were a few instances, you know, during the last two years, and one story in particular that I recall from a Q&A session I was doing with a group out in BC. And so uh, it was an expert panel. Um, I was one of the chat moderators. And there were a few people in the chats uh, when moderating this chat, you know, there are a few questions that were coming in from an individual where as you look at the questions over time, you realize, you know, that they were a supporter of the Freedom Convoy. Now, I could have had, you know, like an initial knee-jerk reaction and just sort of kind of shut down their questions immediately. But instead of doing that, you know, I really had to check in with myself, remove that emotion from myself, that negative emotion, take a step back and then, you know, remind myself that I'm here as an expert to just answer, you know, the questions factually and be compassionate. Over time, as I continued to answer the questions that were coming in, which thankfully were respectful, but eventually some of the responses to the answers were, you know, slowly starting to show the person's true colors. At the end of it, I don't know if, you know, I managed to change that person's mind, but that was not necessarily the purpose of it. It was just more so to give factual information to lead the person to the actual source. At the end of it, that person actually said, thank you for listening. I felt like I was heard, even though I may not have agreed. And thank you for being respectful in your discourse with me because they felt dismissed by their employer. And I know Tim can speak to this at length. There's a difference between engaging with a troll and someone who will just keep, you know, sort of going down that rabbit hole versus someone who perhaps felt like they were not being heard or they were being dismissed and they were coming to potentially get more information. They, you know, probably have a long journey ahead of them, but at least they're feeling heard. And so now just the fact that they were just feeling heard means that they will actually open up to being more receptive to the information that's coming their way. And so that was, in my books, a very successful interaction with someone who did not necessarily come in, you know, agreeing with what the experts were saying. So, yeah, again, you know, being able to 
communicate with compassion and listening and engaging people um, has been a few of the really important um, strategies just during this uh, two and a half plus years at this point. Thank you. And I'm going to poke a little bit for both of you, because both of you talked about listening as being so important to having these difficult conversations. And I think traditionally people think, you know, listening is just, I'm going to pause. I'm going to let them say their thing. Yeah, I'm going to hear them, but not really, you know, pause to think of what they're actually saying. Most people, when they say they're listening, they're just actually pausing and waiting to speak next and like come up with their next, you know, argument or something. So what are some strategies for how we can be better listeners? I think we can all work on that skill. So what are some tips for that? It is a challenge and we all do that, especially when you're fired up. Okay, finish yours and it's my turn. Okay, I get to go now. (laughs) So uh, there are, you know, there's motivated interviewing. There are ways that you can really try to, uh, you know, get a sense of what the other individual's perspective is, you know, respecting their values and, and trying to get a sense of where their anger is is coming from what you know where it's rooted and so i i think trying to even you know we call them macaroni comments this is a long story why i know where this comes from you know when a kid holds up your a picture and say hey dad you like my picture i made in kindergarten um and you go i love it you have to say something specific right so i like that it's made out of macaroni so in the Caulfield House, we call the macaroni comments. Um, and you can do, I know it sounds trivial, but you can do that in real life, right? Where you can try to really listen and draw something specific from what you've heard. You know, I hear that you're saying that you don't trust big pharma. And you know what? I totally get that. So try to find a shared, you know, some shared ground. Because we all have commonalities with other individuals. Maybe we're we're frustrated with how the science has changed. Maybe it's about how we you know, want to make sure our families are protected. Um, maybe you're frustrated with the healthcare system. You know, you can find common ground. And there is evidence to suggest, and it's hard to study this well, by the way, Helen, you know, a lot. it's really hard to do good empirical research around a lot of these things, but there is some evidence to suggest that doing that can make a meaningful difference. Uh, and the other thing I think that Krishana pointed out, I think is so important is you're not going to change the person's mind right in front of you. You know, no one ever goes, Krishana and I always talk about this. No one ever goes, no, now that you mention it, Helen, you're right. You know, that never happens. It's this, it's two things. It's the path to the credible information. You want to give them that path, you know, so you want to be patient, but also there's a broader audience out there, right? And in Krishana's story, you know, there was probably other people listening to her engagement with this individual. And the fact that she's being respectful to this person gives her more credibility. Uh, And secondly, the, the fact that she's, you know, conveying probably land on more solid ground because she's being respectful to this other person. Now, having said all that, <laughs> sometimes I think it's okay to be snarky. Uh, you know, it can be a form of humor uh, when you're online and you're talking to someone that is clearly someone who's profiting from misinformation or they're a troll. You can use these sort of, I call them pop culture moments, right? You know, are, are you Aaron Rodgers and you make a half a billion dollars, you know? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, I could go on and on. You can use them sort of as pop culture moments to talk about what the science actually says. But when you're having these one-on-one conversations, you know, err on the side of listening and empathy. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Krishana, you talked a little bit about, you know, having that knee-jerk reaction and then kind of dialing it back and saying, no, I'm the expert here and I am going to approach with patience and kindness and respect. Um, And I think that's a lot of something that we haven't witnessed much in online spaces. 
And I think even with our students, they express the frustration around um, movements like the Freedom Convoy and how much kind of um, airtime they've gotten in the public realm and how that's misrepresenting kind of the majority of what Canadians actually believe around the pandemic. And so um, just curious for you, you know, what are some exercises and, and things that you go through in your mind as you are trying to dial back maybe some of those knee-jerk reactions? Because I think it's very common that people just approach with, oh, I don't like that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to react this way. How do you change how you approach a situation like that? So that's <laughs> that question. It's, it's kind of like how Tim started answering, right? Um, it's difficult. I don't think any of us, you know, have mastered this. And I will be the first to tell you, I have not mastered this. I am doing it because it's my job, <laughs> and, you know, and and I have to dial it back. But, you know, I find myself in, in many situations and circumstances. And I also want people to know it is okay to feel frustrated and burnt out by this because it's been a long time. Many of us have had to deal with this on, you know, a constant basis, daily, perhaps. And it's okay. Sometimes it's fine to not even want to engage in the conversation. Quite frankly, I've had to do that, right? There, there were times um, I mean, obviously not when I'm actually on the job, but there were times when I'm off the job. And just because people know that this is what I do on a daily basis as my job, they would start to strike up those conversations. And I've actually found myself. So I think literally in June, at the end of June, um, our group had um, our first in-person meeting together in Ottawa on the way to the airport. Our Uber driver was talking about boosters and conspiracy theories and that was right up my alley. But at the same time, I was so done <laughs> with the conversation, you know, that I actually checked out of it. And I said, you know what, that's, that's okay. So I do want to make it clear that it's okay sometimes for people to disengage. It's perfectly fine. I think it's good to just maintain, you know, your mental health that way. But also our, when we do find ourselves in these situations, for me, I, you know, these probably have no basis in research. So this is all anecdotal. <laughs> Tim can probably speak more to like you know, the actual research around this, but I literally lean forward and I just clasp my hands because I need like a physical reminder, you know, to just dial it back, to give that person space and time to speak. Um, and then in that moment, I try to remember, okay, what, what is my purpose here? You know, I'm not here to change everyone's minds. I'm not here to tell people what to do. Uh, you know, my role here is to tell them, like Tim was mentioning, giving them the path to the accurate information, right? Trying to find commonalities and common ground and not thinking of them as the enemy or the person on the other side. Um, but trying to approach people with that compassion and empathy, because more often than not, people have just been extremely concerned and worried and they do want to do what is right for them. They may not understand, you know, they may not have the understanding or the critical thinking or, you know, um, the depth of knowledge that we have. And, and that's why we are there is to share that with them also to share with them how to get to that place and not necessarily to say, okay, this is what you need to do and why you need to do it. We can never be condescending in the way in which we uh, interact with other people, because that's also one of the first ways to get people to stop listening to you, you know, instead of being engaging and respectful. So, yeah, I, I literally sometimes just have to, you know, I, I have to take that pause and remind myself of why I'm there and what my role is in that moment. Thanks, Krishana. Timothy, go for it. Yeah, you know, I, I think it is important to emphasize right now, because you hear Krishana are saying, we've got to be empathetic, we've got to listen. There are reasons to be angry at these people, right? Um, 
misinformation is literally killing people, right? It's literally killing people. Um, it is destroying our democracies. It's ruining friendship. It's exploiting people who are in vulnerable situations. It's increasing stigmatization, increasing discrimination. <laughs> so there are reasons to be angry. And uh, I think it's important to remember that. And, and so sometimes when, I don't know if you've had this experience, Krishana, people say, you know, I don't, I don't want to be, I have zero empathy right now. I have zero empathy for these people. <laughs> Um, I, I get that all the time. Like, I'm sure this has happened to Krishana. I'm done with empathy, but we can't be, despite everything I've just said, we can't be, we're not gonna, we're not going to, to move forward. And the other thing I think is really important is that people come to believing misinformation and spreading misinformation from, from different places. I, you know, I call it the misinformation continuum, right? And there are individuals that have nefarious agendas. They're trying to make money. They're trying to build brands. They're trying to just create information chaos. I don't, don't have empathy for those people. <laughs> you know? So it's like, you don't have to take the gloves off. I don't think Krishan and I are talking about, you know, the Mercolas of the world um, who are just trying to sell misinformation to, to make hundreds of millions of dollars or the Wakefields who are, you know, spreading misinformation about vaccines to create this big brand. We're talking about the people who are really trying to do what's best for them and for their family. And there's just this noise they're dealing with. And the last thing I will say, sorry, I jumped in there. I apologize. Is I, I'm I'm with Krishana. I think you have to remind yourself it's you know perfectly okay to tap out. Uh, Krishana, I'll do that too with like my family members and stuff. You know what? Don't want to talk about mass tonight. You know, <laughs> I don't want to talk about mass tonight. I'm done. You guys go ahead. Yep, totally. And this actually segues perfectly into our next topic is this idea of cancel culture, because, you know, boundaries are so important for us to maintain our mental sanity. But what we have been witnessing and what a lot of our students have talked about is this idea of cancel culture online. We've seen it. We've maybe even been a part of it. But when somebody expresses something that is different from you and you just tap out and say, hey, I don't agree with you. We're going to cancel you like you shouldn't even have any time or platform to say what you have to say anymore. I'm curious for both of you, you know, what are your thoughts on cancel culture? Because it's so prevalent on social media right now. Well, I'm going to jump in first because I have strong views on this. <laughs> uh, I uh, first of all, you know, especially, you know, as someone who comes from you know, the legal community and law professor, I have very strong. I, I believe in freedom of expression, right? I have a very strong belief in, in the importance of, of freedom of expression and having institutions that support freedom of expression, whether you're talking about academic institutions or whether you're talking about the press or whether you're talking about that in the context of politics. But what I worry about is this idea of cancel culture and censorship and silencing is being used by those spreading misinformation to destabilize those who are fighting misinformation. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? Whether you're Joe Rogan or uh, one of the fringy scientists who are talking about completely disproven facts, they'll raise this idea of freedom of expression, of cancel culture in order to change the conversation. It's a red herring. So it doesn't become about the misinformation. It becomes about this intuitively appealing right, which I support, um, as opposed to the misinformation. And unfortunately, Helen, this strategy has been tremendously successful. Those spreading misinformation now, in fact, in some states in the US, they're passing laws to stop licensing boards from punishing doctors for pushing misinformation about COVID. Did you follow that? Like they're creating laws to say that you can't punish a doctor 
for spreading misinformation about COVID. And that's exactly because they've weaponized this idea of cancel culture. Now, reality here, the stuff that Krishana and I fight against is clearly misinformation. This isn't, you know, when should you get your booster? How much immunity do you get from Omicron? Where there's these, you know, (laughs) interesting academic conversations going on. This is all clearly harmful misinformation. And uh, one of the challenges I recently put out on social media, I say, name one fact about COVID that's true, scientifically true, that has been canceled, censored, you know, um, and no one has come up with one, right? So I worry about the use of cancel culture rhetoric in order to stop the fight against misinformation. And as I said, unfortunately, this strategy by those pushing misinformation has been successful. Mm-hmm. Krishana, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? You know, no, I can't. Like, I think Tim <laughs> totally covered that perfectly. And I knew he would he would say what he said. So, and I, I completely agree because that's exactly, um, unfortunately, what's been happening, right? The people using cancel culture to actually perpetuate and spread more misinformation when in fact that is not what it what is actually happening right um so yes tim tim totally covered that one and and if i could add something we actually have done studies on this and what we've found is the opposite is true so what do i mean by that those spreading misinformation are getting disproportionate airtime on the contrary to being canceled they're getting lots of you know you're on Joe Rogan, the most popular podcast in the universe, and you're being, I should be so canceled, right? You know, I, you know you're on Tucker Carlson and you're, and you're canceled, the single most popular cable news show, and you're being canceled. So uh, we, we did a study on natu- the idea of natural herd immunity and how it was portrayed. And we found that on the contrary to being canceled, there was a disproportionate, you know, false balance, a disproportionate amount of airtime. So not only is, is this not happening, is it in the, the idea of cancel culture being used to stop the, the, the fight against misinformation, it's factually inaccurate. Wow. That is scary, knowing that that's what is actually happening, is that they're getting a platform because they're being, quote unquote, canceled or, or whatnot. Ugh, that's terrible news. Um, why don't we start wrapping up the conversation? I'm curious because I, I could talk to you probably for the entire day and still have more questions to come up with. And I know because our students are struggling with what it means to have conversations with other folks when they're witnessing adults all across the world not being able to have these hard conversations. What are some take-home lessons? Like, What are some tips and strategies that our students can employ now as they learn how to navigate these hard conversations with their family members, with their friends? What are some last tips and strategies that you'd like to share with them? So I I would reiterate the ones that we've already mentioned um, here. And these are ones that I have used with uh, family and friends. Again, disclaimer, like Tim said, we are talking about, you know, the family and the friends and and not the trolls and, and those who are profiting off of misinformation, very different strategy and approaches that we would take for, you know, the two groups um, of people. But again, just literally trying to come from a place of compassion. When we say this to, you know, finding those commonalities, when you're striking up the conversation, Tim mentioned something that I think myself and probably everyone else I've spoken to, um, you know, being frustrated with the healthcare system, right? 
being frustrated with um, sometimes, you know, miscommunications that are coming out sometimes from official bodies or people not understanding, for example, how science works and that science evolves and then having to sort of explain that, right? So having patience, I think, is number one. Uh, coming in with compassion is number two, because I'll be honest, sometimes it's not even empathy. It's just the compassion because we can't necessarily empathize with everyone. Listening, listening, extremely important. And the listening like we that we spoke about, which is that active listening to understand and not that listening to wait to just jump in and give your side um, of the story. And also just knowing and being aware that, you know, you may not change anyone's mind. Um, and if that relationship is important to you, uh, especially for you to keep that relationship and you notice that you and that person may not see eye to eye or you notice that's becoming a very tense situation, I would, you know, take a step back, take a break from that, perhaps change the topic and realize you may not end up on the same page with that person, but you're trying to save that relationship. So, you know, is it more, you know, is the outcome more important, the relationship more important, both more important? Do you need to be accommodating or compromising or just, you know, sort of have this hopefully collaborative approach with the other person? And yeah, again, no, just knowing when sometimes you just need to walk away from the conversation and it's okay. And if the relationship for you is not as important um, and the conversations are just not going anywhere, then it's up to you to make that decision whether or not walking away from that relationship makes more sense for your mental health, which unfortunately, um, I know during these last few years have happened to a lot of people where lots of relationships have been fractured because a lot of um, disagreements have happened and, and, you know, a lot of ideologies have just clashed. So um, that's unfortunately an outcome as well. But I think at the end of the day, just knowing where you sit how you feel checking in with yourself and realizing is this relationship important to you and then having that you know strategy or approach of compassion and listening as well as finding some common ground thanks krishana timothy did you want to add to that yeah i mean that that's i agree with everything that krishana said uh and i'm going to add one more thing we we know that this is more sort of our own mental health our own well-being we know that we're living in an incredibly chaotic information environment. And so uh, I think a, a very straightforward strategy that I often recommend is this idea of just pausing, you know, just taking a beat. And so if you see something on social media that, you know, you think is exciting or interesting, take a beat. And there's really interesting research. Uh, Gordon Pennycook is one of our collaborators, you know, David Rand from MIT, he's done work on this, that shows that that idea of just pausing before you share, before you sort of internalize it, can make a real difference. You, you approach the information more critically, and you're less likely to share misinformation, less likely to believe misinformation. And I think that that's particularly important for people who are busy, like students, because um, there was a very recent study that came out that found that uh, younger individuals, I think it was below 30, more likely to share misinformation. And part of it is just because of the chaotic information environment that they live in, right? Social media is such a frantic space that reminding yourself to pause, uh, reminding your colleagues to pause, uh, I think that that's a really actionable suggestion, right? And, and there has been interesting research that has shown that it can work that's been replicated in other laboratories. So, so that's good news. And, you know, there was research, there's been a lot of research um, that has talked about doom scrolling. And I know that almost sounds like a cliche, but it's real. It's a real thing, you know, that, again, hard to study this well, 
But we have this body of evidence that tells us that, you know, people do get stressed out by negative news, by, you know, the constant barrage of, of misinformation. So this idea of pausing and stepping away. And the other thing I recommend, and I try to do this myself, is to really step away. So I try to give a hard out kind of to social media and to the barrage of information, like around 9 p.m., just to, to let my mind <laughs> reset. And again, there's a little bit of evidence to back this up, that this is a good idea, that just stepping away from the noise for a little bit will make you feel better. I think it really importantly for our conversation today, you, when you come back to it, you come back to it as a better critical thinker. Awesome. Thank you so much. Both of you did talk about the fact that as experts in this field, we want to provide the path for people to get credible information. So I'd love to give the opportunity for you to talk a little bit about Science Up First because you're doing such great work there. How can our students, if they want to get the right facts and information about COVID-19, about vaccines, where can they go to and um, what are you doing at Science Up First? So definitely come to scienceupfirst.com or follow us at Science Up First. So we're available on or present on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. A little bit less so on TikTok, but um, on the other three platforms. But when you visit the website, uh, you will see, you know, the, the amazing, uh, the posts and the production of the information that, that has been created. Our comms team is phenomenal. So we work in this way where we take in information, you know, via various sources. So for example, we get some social listening information and in. we have brainstorming sessions where we also invite other science communicators working in other organizations who are hearing and, and, and being exposed to a lot of the misinformation that's floating around. Um, and we take that back in. Our team then goes in and we, our science communicator does the research and, and creates um, the content. Um, and then we have a production team that then, and then Tim spoke about this earlier. One of the main pieces about Science Up First is to ensure that this information is understandable by the non-expert public. So once that information comes in, all the research is done, um, is also, of course, vetted by experts because we have um, access to a network of experts in different areas. The information is then created and produced in a really engaging way. It's creative and it's simple to understand. We try our best to ensure that the information is easily understandable uh, by the public. And, and then, of course, it's shared on the platforms where a lot of misinformation itself is spread. So that was the whole aim around Science Up First to begin with, is to ensure that we are where the people are, um, also where they're getting their information. But we want to do so in a very captivating way. But also, of course, the cornerstone of it all is that it's accurate. But even more generally, so even on our website, uh, we do share resources from other organizations, for example, the misinformation space or health-related spaces like COVID-19 during the pandemic. Um, there's uh, another organization called SKIP, for example, and they do a lot of work around uh, needle fear and needle pain, which has been something that has been brought up quite a bit during the pandemic for obvious reasons. So when it you know comes to the COVID vaccines, and uh, I would say for the most part that like of course that's where you should go. But then there are many other resources and many other places that you can go to. Um, Tim, I probably will throw it to you for. I know you have other things to share as well. No, I think you did a great job there. I'll just I'll just say I hope everyone joins the hashtag Science Up First team. One thing that we try to do that both Krishana and I touched on is we do try to keep it positive, right, Krishana? Like we really, yeah. you know, if you go, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll be a little more snarky. <laughs> I, uh, 
But we always try to keep uh, Science Up First positive. We want it to be a positive source of information. We try to use diverse voices, and we would love everyone to come follow us, uh, become part of the team, and, and share that good information. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, yeah, as much as it is, you're going to Science Up First to learn for yourself the information. We want to flood these online spaces with accurate information. And Science Up First does a bang up job making sure that the information they're putting together is vetted, that it is scientifically sound. So if you want to be resharing or retweeting anything, head to Science Up First. Thank you so much, Timothy and Krishana, for joining us. Um, we had such a great conversation. As I said, I could talk to you for ages, but we will be wrapping it up right here. So thank you for joining us. I hope our students are able to take nuggets of information into their next difficult conversation. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. The pandemic has influenced all of us in one way or another. What's encouraging for me to see is that students have expressed the desire to become a better person coming out of it. They want to learn how to navigate digital spaces more critically. They want to learn how to take care of their mental health, and they want to learn how to have hard conversations with strangers, but more importantly, with the people they love. I hope this last mini-series can help encourage and motivate you to reflect on how we can be better people and a more science-informed society. Thank you to all of the amazing guests who joined us to share their wisdom. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you can, please share it with one other person to help us expand our reach. Make sure to stay in the know about the Wisest STEM podcast by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from. If you'd like to stay updated on programs that Wisest offers, consider subscribing to our monthly e-newsletter or following us on social media. You can find all that information in the description below. That's it for now. See you next time. Mm -hmm.